Okay, thank you very much. Welcome to everyone. Um, we've had a beautiful day here in the northwest of Ireland where we live and I can see many faces joining us from all over the UK and further afield from all over the world actually. So you're very welcome. I've been asked to chair just this uh, evening's um, session, this fireside, and it's really um, try to make it as informal as possible. Um, uh, there's, there'll be some opportunity for questions at the end and uh, I, I can, with Kay's assistance, hopefully get to see your questions in the, in the um, chat or the participants. You can ask your, put your hand up there for any, uh, anything that you need to know. Anyway, <clears throat> this evening, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to Michael, my friend. Uh, I first met Michael here over 35 years ago, 36 years ago, actually, 1984. Michael moved to this area. He wasn't. He didn't grow up in in Letterkenny where we live. He grew up in Dublin, and uh, <clears throat> he then went to London for a short time as a young adult, and then returned back to Ireland. And he pioneered as a Baha'i young person to help uh, with the a newly formed Baha'i local assembly that was here at that time in nineteen uh, the early nineteen eighties. So he came here in nineteen eighty four, and he's been living here and resident here for, for from then on. He's had his own business and uh, is self-employed and has a very successful business and has uh, four lovely children, three daughters and one son. Um, <clears throat> Michael is um, devoted to uh, sharing his uh, faith with as many people as possible. And a number of years ago at the Irish Summer School, he gave a presentation on the life uh, of Effie Baker. Um, it was just a presentation to share uh, some stories about her and then he went on to get some photographs which we will be sharing tonight with you all and uh, these photographs are very precious because they were taken by Effie Baker um, back in the early 30s most of them from Iran from different parts of Iran and she was uh, uh, a person Michael will fill you in actually but she was a person of, of importance let's put it that way at that time and she recorded many many beautiful images of uh, sacred places for the Baha'is, and especially in uh, Shiraz and all over Iran, actually. Um, um, yeah, I would just like to say that uh, I, I, it's just wonderful to see so many people. I've been attending these firesides every week. They're so informative. They give us lots of information about many different people, and, that, and that's what it's all about, connecting hearts and connecting people and the oneness of us all. So I'll hand you over to Michael, and at the end of the evening, hopefully we can get a chat again. Um, enjoy the presentation and I would suggest that we don't take any photographs of these um, images because they're um, copyright and they're copyrighted I should say and I think that is not permissible for us even to record this this evening I'm not sure about that but as far as I know that the images are sort of important to be kept uh, as private anyway I hand you over and have a nice evening Good evening, everybody. Thank you very much, Declan. As, as Declan said, uh, we have been friends for more years than I've been uh, a Baha'i, you know, so he's been an incredible friend to me. Um, he admitted to tell you some of the hilarious stories. Um, I pioneered, as, I, as he said, in 1984 um, from Dublin to Letterkenny, and at the end of 1984, early 1985, the two of us did a, uh, we scampered away out of Ireland and headed off to Israel. And we ended up in weird places like Jericho Junction and Jerusalem and a beautiful town called Haifa in the north of Israel. And we could have a fireside on the stories that, and the crack that we had there <laughs> alone. <laughs> we had so much fun and we met so many interesting people. Anyway, um, Declan has, as I said, has been a very close friend. Um, he, he didn't fill you in on, on some of the personal details, um, which I will just very quickly run through with you. I had the bounty when I was a very young person living in Dublin of meeting Zebby Whitehead and spending a lot of time with him, um, which was extraordinary. Um, his firesides, as Kay alluded to, were legendary. And the big, I'll never forget the big brown teapot. Um, and I had the pleasure of uh, traveling with, with uh, Zebby. Actually, we came to Letterkenny on the bus. Um, Zebby didn't drive, so the two of us took a bus journey from Dublin City for five hours, and Zebby wasn't happy on the bus for that length of time. 
and we stopped in Monaghan for sandwiches and they were awful and he had to comment about those for quite some time. <laughs> he was a great character. Um, so also after a period of time, for I was an active Baha'i until about 1989 and due to personal circumstances I had to withdraw from the faith um, and I came back about four, almost four years ago. On my return back to the faith, I uh, attended summer school in Kilkenny, uh, Irish Baha'i summer school, and I had almost no books. Declan actually had uh, given me a prayer book, which really I found incredible to help me rediscover myself and to bring me some solace. Um, but I, when, I, when I went to summer school, I had no books. So, and I'm not an academic at all. I'm the other end of the spectrum, actually. Um, but I really, really wanted to have a nice storybook about Baha'is and Baha'i faith. So I picked up a book in the bookshop called uh, Shoghi Effendi Through the Pilgrim's Eye by Earl Redman. Um, and it, it's basically, I don't know, if, if you haven't read it, it's got lots of little stories about the early pilgrims going to Haifa. Haifa is the Baha'i world center for the Baha'i faith in, in northern Israel, as I mentioned earlier. And it just tells little stories about different people who went on pilgrimage and where they came from. Um, I read about Effie Baker. Uh, and an awful lot of people probably haven't really heard that much about Effie Baker. I haven't. And actually, I asked Declan, and he said he didn't really know that much about her. And I asked a few of them, and they didn't really know that much about her. So I did a bit of investigation um, on Effie. Her story fascinated me. It was only about a, chap, a, a couple of paragraphs in the book. There wasn't that much. Um, her story just interested me. And actually through Declan once again, <laughs> um, I, he was able to tell me that Earl Redmond, the author of the book, actually lived in Ireland in a town called, in, in a county called Cavan, in the middle of Ireland. And um, eventually I got his phone number and plucked up the courage. I didn't think an author of a fabulous book like this would ever speak to a minion like me. But he answered the phone and I was blown away. And he, I, I asked him some questions then about Effie Baker. And he uh, sent me a couple of little photographs and a letter. He had a copy of a letter that Effie wrote to Shoghi Effendi while on her travels into Persia. More of the Persian story I will tell you shortly, but I just want to give you some background. Um, in following up from that, he also gave me an introduction to a gentleman who's actually joined us all the way from the Gold Coast in Australia, Mr. Graham Hassel. Um, I wrote an email to, when I found his email address, I wrote an email to Graham who joins us and thank you very much for joining. At some stage, Graham may want to interrupt me because he knows actually a bit more about this than I do. He's been studying Effie Baker for a very long time. Um, he is hopefully publishing a book very shortly called Ambassador to the Court, The Life and Photography of Effie Baker. And he sent me this, not knowing me from Adam. He never heard of me. Who's this guy ringing me from Ireland? And he was somewhat reluctant to share his very hard work material but he sent me it after i explained to him that i wouldn't share it with anybody and here i am now sharing it with everybody <laughs> no no it wasn't quite like that but he shared it with me and i read it thoroughly and i i, I wrote to the universal house of justice um and asked for some more information about effie baker and i didn't hear anything back for a couple of months and I kind of was wondering what was going on, so I, I emailed them again and reminded them of my existence. <laughs> uh, very cheeky. I was very new Baha'i back in the whole thing. I know. I mean, I know you shouldn't really do these type of things, but I was naive and innocent, I suppose. But I got a fantastic letter back uh, saying that very shortly they would put together a montage or a group of photographs. So a couple of weeks later, a huge file came with some of Effie Baker's original photographs. These, some of these I will be able to share with you tonight, but these have all been copywritten by the Baha'i World Center. Um, so I, once again, as Declan mentioned earlier, we cannot record with, in conjunction with the Zebi Fireside team, we will decide what happens with this. 
uh, Zoom fireside this evening because of the sensitivity of these photographs being copywritten. Uh, some of them that you will see tonight have never ever been seen or published before in any format. One or two of them are in Nabil's narrative. Nabil's narrative is a book that was written by the followers of by a follower of the Bab in in Persia in the uh, mid 1800s. Um, and this book was then translated by Shoghi Effendi, the guardian of the Baha'i faith, in the, in the mid-1920s when he was living in Haifa. Um, this is a monumental piece of work. Um, uh, but the, and, and some of the photographs appear in that volume, the, Amer the American volume. They don't appear in the UK published version. So this is the book. Nabil's narrative, as you can see, it's a big, thick book with photographs in it. I'll go through and show you those in a, in a, in a little while. So I was delighted to have those photographs, and I'm going to share some of them with you tonight. Um, with the fantastic help of a local photographer, um, a gentleman by the name of Fergal McGannity, we had the images, and they came smaller than the size of a small matchbox. And we had to upload them and do a lot of technical stuff to them. And as you will see from the, you will see that we had to do a lot of work on the photographs and I'll explain why, but Fergal McGannity did an extraordinary job on the photographs um, and we actually edited them, cleaned them, tidied them up. I'll go through all of that later and uploaded them back onto the, uh, to, to the archives of the Universal House of Justice. And these photographs are now available for some people to see it sometimes and to be used for publication some of the time, which you have to write, but anyway. So we've done quite a lot of work on these photographs. So Effie Baker, um, it, it, I really wish I could have a show of hands of how many people have heard of Effie Baker, but on this format, it's almost impossible. Um, I mean, I know Graham Hassel and I see Olivia Smith and Caroline Spry Fox and one or two others have heard of Effie Baker. But for those of you who don't know, Effie Baker was uh, born in 1880 in uh, a little small town called Goldsboro in Australia. She, her descendants were British and Scottish. The name Ephemea actually comes from her mother's side of the family from Perth in Scotland. Um, but she was obviously shortened then to Effie. Um, Effie was the eldest of uh, 12 children. Um, shortly after she was born, Sorry, my mum's ringing. Mothers always ring when you're busy, don't they? <laughs> um, shortly after she was born, actually four months after she was born, their family home was completely destroyed by fire. Um, the family were not very well off, the mum and dad, and there was another baby coming. So Effie was farmed out, as it were. I mean, it's a common phrase in Ireland. I don't know whether other people around the world have heard of this, but um, she, her, her grandparents uh, took her under their wing. Her grandparents were quite educated and they lived in a, a slightly bigger town than Goldsboro. So Effie was brought and had a good education. The schooling was much better. The social activities were much better than they were in Goldsboro. So she was given lots of opportunities. After they passed away, she went to stay with her aunt who was a headmistress the first actual headmistress of a school in Australia. Um, we're talking at the turn of the century here now where women's rights um, were completely different to they are now. They had no uh, ability to earn money like men did. They had almost no rights whatsoever. So, so Effie's aunt was a headmistress in the local school and um, educated her and you know, through the other members of the family who were all of fantastic support to her, they gave her a, an incredible grounding in things like photography and the arts, and engineering, all kinds of things, which most ladies of that period of time and young girls would never have been exposed to. Effie was exposed to all of this. And as she grew up, she developed great interest in photography and the arts and crafts. Um, and at this point, I'd love to be able to, if I can, manage it to share a photograph. So if I can, I will just click in and see if I can. Okay, so this is Effie Baker. 
um, early 1920s um, at her workbench. Um, so Effie would start, it was very difficult for women to make uh, a living. So she would make little toys and you can see in here, there's little koala bears and uh, little carts. Um, she has her, her tools and all there. So she made little toys. These toy toys she sold to through church fairs and fates. Um, she actually had some exported to America. They were very difficult to get toys at the end of the First World War in Australia. So her toys were in big demand. There was many articles in newspapers written about her skills at toy making and the quality of them. She also was an incredible painter. Uh, and I'll see if I can. Uh, so she was, she was very fond of wildlife and the flora and fauna of Australia. So this is a very early example of a card that she would have drawn. She made many, many of these and would sell them, as I said, at church fairs and bazaars um, and send them. And she was extremely generous and very often not commercially realistic. So she would give them away to people and not try and, you know, even though she needed to earn a living, um, she was very detached, <laughs> a lovely attribute to have. <laughs> Um, and I just think some of these pieces are, are really terrific. Um, okay, so during the um, early part of the 1920s in Australia, um, we had the world had come out of the First World War, and people were starting to examine the truth of life and the reality of life. The First World War had had a devastating effect on people around the globe. Um, Australians like many other parts of the world, suffered greatly. And they questioned their faith and the reality and the, and the wisdom of God and all of these different questions. So there was lots of philosophical sort of societies and organizations and groups. And into this melting pot of uh, conversation, Effie uh, got submerged um, and herself and some of her friends would go along to various meetings. At this time, two very well-known Baha'is had pioneered from um, America, having heard Abdul Baha, the master, the, the son of Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i faith, tell and ask Americans to arise and to pioneer, to go and serve the cause and to bring the faith to other parts of the world. And um, Clara and Hyde Dunn in 1920 had moved from California, um, from fairly comfortable surroundings to Australia, completely and utterly penniless they arrived with nothing um, or virtually nothing. They rented a small house um, and Mr. Dunn got a job with a, a, a chocolate company which eventually actually became Nestle. Um, and he would travel around Australia as a sales rep. Um, in those days, of course, there was no multimedia television and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that nonsense. Um, so they would sit around in the lounges of the hotels when they were traveling and he would talk about the Baha'i faith. I mean, this was his driving force, really his driving force. Earn a living selling chocolate during the day and talk about the Baha'i faith to whoever he would come across. And he introduced the Baha'i faith to um, Oswald Whitaker in uh, the first Baha'i. He was holding these meetings along with his wife um, in all the towns that they went to. And they would put up uh, advertisements in local newspapers and magazines saying about, you know, come and hear the faith of Baha'u'llah, uh, come and hear about a new revelation, whatever they thought would. And Effie and her friends went to one of these meetings. Um, and she heard him stand up and say um, the following. He talked a little bit about the Baha'i faith said a prayer, and then read one of the hidden words. O son of spirit, free thyself from, the work, from worldly bond. Escape from the prison of self, self. Appreciate the value of time, for it will never come again, nor a like opportunity. That has now been since translated and updated. So I'll read the, 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 the current so that you get the understanding of it, of any of you who know the hidden words. These were beautiful words revealed by Baha'u'llah over many long years, uh, little small like vignettes, I would call them. Oh, my servant, 
free thyself from the fetters of this world and lose thy soul from the prison of self. Seize thy chance, for it will come to thee no more. She had all her life as a Methodist completely just accepted whatever she was told. Here she was being told more or less, go and investigate the truth for yourself and free yourself of the fetters of all of the things of the past and examine for yourself the truth. At the end of the meeting, after uh, Mr. Dunn had talked about the Baha'i faith and the history of the Baha'i faith, she went up to him and declared her faith. The same day, that night, there and then, no messing about. <laughs> um, so, so, of course, she became very close to the Dunns. She actually called them her, uh, like her parents, mum and dad's Dunn father and mother done. Um, in Donegal here, we've now, we've two lovely Baha'is who live in Derry, uh, Keith and Anne Monroe, and we call them <laughs> the same, we give them the same kind of title. Um, anyway, I'm going to try, try and speed this up because we're already well into half an hour. Um, so to cut it short, Effie uh, became an active Baha'i. Uh, she helped form assemblies in Auckland, Adelaide, Melbourne, and Sydney. In the late 19, in, in the mid 1920s, Martha Ruth, another well-known uh, Baha'i from America, uh, quite a wealthy lady who was traveling around talking about the Baha'i faith, had written to the Baha'is, um, the Duns in particular, saying that she was coming to Australia. They had planned to go to Perth in Western Australia, so they wrote back to her and advised her to come out to Perth as soon as she landed. They had gone on ahead with Effie and rented a little room above a restaurant called the Blue Tree Gum Room. Um, and they arrived there in mid-June and they advertised their meetings and Martha Ruth came a few days later and joined them. And one of the, this is one of the most extraordinary stories that I, I just love about what has happened in this period of time. They left in mid-July having formed an assembly. So they arrived in Perth with no Baha'is and left having formed a local spiritual assembly of nine or more members of the Baha'i faith in one month. So they, there was great enthusiasm to, to serve the faith uh, and talk and, about this fantastic revelation. And they did it by advertising and they would get hundreds of people coming at night. And in afternoons, they would have afternoon tea days and all sorts of things and encourage people to come and hear about this wonderful new revelation of the Baha'i faith. Effie, as I said, was a painter. So I'm going to try and speed this up a little bit. I hope I'm not boring you all. Um, Effie was, as I said, a well-respected painter, but she had a, one bad habit. Um, when she was painting, in those days, they painted with oil. when one looks back on it, of putting her, her paintbrush into the oils and then when she needed to clean it rather than putting it into a glass of water, she put it on the end of her tongue. So she actually end, developed lead poisoning. So by, the early, by her early 40s, she became quite ill and weak and, and was advised to work an awful lot less. This enabled her to start travelling. So she would travel with the Duns all around Australia and to New Zealand and help develop and form assemblies. And at this time, there was quite a number of Baha'is in New Zealand who had decided that they would go on pilgrimage, uh, which is a visit, in a sense, to the Baha'i holy places in Haifa, in Israel. And Effie decided that this would be a wonderful opportunity for her maybe to recover her strength and health and also to visit the Baha'i holy places in Haifa. So she planned her trip. And in 1925, they set sail. They didn't go on Ryanair or BA or Qantas. They weren't around that day. Uh, it might have been uh, COVID or something, but they couldn't go by plane. So they had to take the long, slow boat journey um, through the Suez Canal um, up to Port Said um, in Egypt and then across into uh, Israel. Um, one of the extraordinary things about that trip was that 
um, Effie records in one of her, her, her little pieces to, in her letters back that the captain of the boat had to pay the port authorities at the Suez Canal £4,000 for the ship to transverse through the Suez Canal. In those days, that is an extraordinary amount of money. I just thought that was just fascinating. They arrived in, uh, in the port of Haifa by train, and they were met at the train station by a gentleman by the name of Fujita, a little, small Japanese gentleman. Um, yeah, okay. Um, so Effie, when she arrived in 1925, um, there was, very, there was no electricity as such on, in Haifa. And this is a photograph that Effie took of on the day that electrification occurred on Mount Carmel in Haifa. And those lights that you can see in the center ground of the photograph in pairs are on the um, slopes of Mount Carmel leading up to uh, where the Shrine of the Bob is. And that was the very first night of the electrification of, uh, of Haifa. I'm going to try and share some other photographs here now with you in a, in a row. The one that I want to find of Fujita will have to hold on for a few minutes. So here are groups of Baha'is. I'm not going to spend very long on these um, who came to Haifa, but there's a couple of them are very interesting. And in the foreground, for example, of this one is, sorry, there's Fujita, sorry, right in the center of this one beside Effie Baker little small Chinese, Japanese guy uh, with a lovely, beautiful smile. And as you can see, he's actually standing on a step above Effie and he's only just managing to reach above her height. Um, but this little photograph down here, I hope it's here. Nope, it's not there, it's moved. Let me see. See, I've expanded them out so I'm not seeing them all. This is a photograph taken of Effie and some friends on the steps. But the most the significant thing is about this is the Nachavani boys. Um, one of them, Mr. Nachavani, uh, passed away only recently, um, aged uh, over 100, I think he was 100 years of age, wasn't he, when he passed away? Um, and only very recently he passed away. Um, I need to zoom back. These photographs actually, um, what I might do at this point is, no, no, I'll wait actually. I have these photographs, as I said, all very enlarged. Um, one of the things that Effie did that very, very few people ever knew about was um, she did a lot of work for Shoghi Effendi when she was in Haifa. Um, so I showed you a photograph earlier on of her doing model making. So in her first few years of being on pilgrimage in Haifa, um, Shoghi Effendi, who was the guardian of the Baha'i faith at that time, um, needed a lot of help. He was constructing the Shrine of the Bob and he had acquired some land around it and he needed to develop the gardens and the grounds around it. So he needed some help. So Effie actually made models out of some of those pieces of wood that you saw earlier on that kind of thing. So Shoghi Effendi was able to have a 36, you know, a, a bird's eye view and, a, you know, he was able to walk around it in, in, and she built it to scale out of pieces of wood that she found lying around in Haifa. Um, and one of the other things that she did is, and very few people have ever understood the artwork surrounding the ringstone symbol, which is on the four corners of the Shrine of the Bob, was all designed by Effie Baker. Almost nobody knows this, but it's written in a letter from uh, Mr. Sears to Effie on her deathbed, thanking her for the extraordinary work in the artwork that she did. And that's virtually the only recording. This is one of the extraordinary things about this woman is that she was extremely humble, quiet. She didn't stand up and say, I did this, I did that, I did that. She just got on with it and did it, okay? I'm sure there's going to be questions arising from some of these photographs. So this is one of the very early photographs of the Shrine of the Bob that Effie took. Um, the lands were, as you can see, completely different to the way it looks now for any of you who have been there in the past number of years will know that this is substantially different. The grounds are only starting to be developed. 
Again, this is some photographs. I won't really zoom in on these, but these are uh, wonderful uh, photographs of some of the early pilgrims who traveled from New Zealand on Australia. Um, and in this photograph is Effie with two of uh, Abdul Baha's uh, uh, granddaughters who actually became what's known as covenant breakers. Um, for those of you who don't understand what that means, is, hmm? oh, yeah. um, is that people who didn't respect and follow the guidance of Baha'u'llah and Abdul Baha and Shoghi Effendi, these were people who maybe for egotistical reasons or other chose not to follow and, and put some members of his own family actually turned away from, from him. And see, these are some of the early believers as well. During the mid-1920s, uh, Shoghi Effendi, who had great uh, foresight, um, was able to see that things were changing rapidly in Persia. Uh, there were ongoing, continuous persecutions of the Baha'is by the authorities in Persia at this time. Also, some of the uh, early buildings associated with the Baha'i faith were being destroyed. He had written on many occasions to the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of Iran, asking, of Persia, sorry, it became Iran later, of Persia, and asking them to take photographs and to record, and to record some of the artifacts and to keep a record of um, anything relating to the early believers, the Bab and Baha'u'llah in particular in the Baha'i faith. And unfortunately, this wasn't happening. So Shoghi Effendi, having seen the extraordinary work that Effie was able to do with a camera, decided that this lady was going to have to help me out here. Um, so, um, but actually, I want, I'm sorry, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I, I forgot there was one fantastic story I forgot to say. After her pilgrimage, she, she went to London and when she came back again, she came back to help for a couple of weeks. She had only intended to stay for a couple of weeks, but when on her arrival, all of the, or a lot of the members of the house that were looking after the pilgrims were very ill, including Fujita. She, so Effie got stuck in straight away to work and making beds and preparing the pilgrim houses for pilgrims coming from all around the world. And she continued with this task. And actually, if you go on pilgrimage right now, uh, some of the bedding and the curtains in the pilgrim houses were made by Effie's own fair hands. And they're still there. Um, many of those pieces. Um, she also helped to establish, um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact word for it, but she went downtown where there were thousands upon thousands of uh, Arab women who it wasn't accepted if they weren't married, having children. Um, and these children and these women were left destitute and in absolute terrible circumstances. And Effie, along with some other English ladies who were living in Haifa at that time, established a, a nursery and a care center for them. And she would help out there most days, um, establishing and getting the milk and food. And even though they, you know, circumstances were extremely difficult. So she was, you know, I titled this a life of service. So this lady, the, from the minute she, she landed in Haifa, was offering service to the Baha'i faith and to the community of the Baha'is that lived there. Uh, making the beds, as I said, making meals, making curtains. She, she would rise at 5 a.m. and not go to bed often till 11 and 10 and 11 o'clock at night, doing a full day of non-stop work. Um, Shortly before she was due to leave, as I said, she was only due to stay for a couple of weeks, uh, Shoghi Effendi brought her with, with him to one of the holy sites out in Baji, uh, the site where Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i Faith, is resting places, and they shared time together. And the following day, um, oh, sorry, on the, on the, in the car on the way back to Haifa, Shoghi Effendi turned to Effie and he said, you know, a good general keeps his bad soldiers close and sends his good ones afar. And so Effie was very downhearted, knowing full well that this was the end of her fantastic trip to Haifa, that you know, he was sending her back to Australia. The following day, she went on her last visit, her bags packed, her ticket bought for the boat, uh, her goodbyes all said, and she was going to the Shrine of the Bob to have one final prayer. And as she was walking up to the terrace, she noticed Shoghi Effendi coming down with some Persian believers 
he excused himself from those Persian believers and came down to Effie. And he said, you know what I said to you yesterday? I've changed my mind. Um, and Effie looked at him and said, so you think I'm one of the bad soldiers? <laughs> and they had a great laugh together about it. <laughs> Effie ended up staying, as I said, and continued all this enormous work. Um, she, she had the extraordinary ability of mixing with all classes and races of people. At that time, the, uh, the shrine of, the, of where Baha'u'llah, there was a house beside it called the Mansion of Baji. Um, for any of you who are uh, unfamiliar with that, it's a house adjacent to where uh, Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i Faith, is interred. It's a large house. It had belonged to the Baha'i community, but covenant breakers or people who weren't respectful of the Baha'i Faith had taken it over and occupied it. Nobody could go near it. None of the Baha'is were allowed near it, except Effie Baker. They all liked her, and they allowed her in to take photographs of this house. Um, she went into the house, and actually, if you go to Baji right now, today, or tomorrow, or if, if we can ever get there again, hopefully COVID goes away, um, in one of the rooms upstairs in the mansion of Baji are two large photographs taken by Effie Baker. Effie went upstairs to the house of uh, the mansion of Baji and the room where Baha'u'llah ascended from there is a the room that you see right now the way it's laid out with the divan and the bed and all of the items Effie took photographs of that room allowed her in by the covenant breakers she kept those photographs and Shoghi Effendi when he managed to gain control or gain back the mansion of Baji was able to re-develop uh, that room exactly as the photographs of Effie Baker. Those two photographs are still available for you to see in the mansion of Baji upstairs in about the fourth bedroom, fourth rooms down along the corridor on the upper floor. Now, very few people were aware of this and actually my good friend Graham didn't even realize that until I happened to spot it when I was over there. So Effie had, had a real impact in the way you see things right now in Haifa. I have made a recent discovery that the artwork on the outskirts of the mansion of Baji was partially done by Effie Baker. Not all of it, but partially. And in fact, in some cases where somebody else painted it, she would have colored it in. So she's had an influence in that as well. Sorry, I'm going on. <laughs> um, so 1930s come, nothing has happened in Persia in relation to the photographs. So Shoghi Effendi says to, uh, Effie, we need you to go to uh, Persia and take these photographs. She had to go downtown and buy every single solitary plate and piece of photographic equipment that she could buy on the instructions of, Effie, of, of Shoghi Effendi. A short while later, when she gathered all this material, she set off uh, by car through to Damascus, across the Syrian desert, into Iraq and across into, per into Persia. Um, now, here is the most extraordinary thing about this woman. She is now almost 50 years of age. She suffered considerable ill health. She's been working 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. daily. She is white. She's five foot three, fair hair going gray. Going to Persia, a country where Baha'is are being persecuted and executed, where women are treated completely and utterly differently to men. Um, I don't need to go into any details. You all know exactly what I mean. Um, and she's white and she's going to take photographs. Now, <laughs> every one of those things are like a conflict of anything that's possible to happen in Persia. And yet Effie was the right woman. She was because she was small in stature, because she was quiet and humble. She didn't raise any uh, issues, as it were. She went about taking her photographs, which I'll share with you now in a couple of minutes. Taking these photographs uh, very discreetly. One of the key things about her, her trip into Persia is, so for example, if she went to Yazd or Isfahan, um, she knew that the following day she would have to move on. She couldn't hang around. So she had to make sure that whatever photographs she had taken were of decent enough quality. So at night, she would erect a small tent at the side of the car or of the caravan or wherever it was, 
cover it over with an extra piece of tarpaulin, get a torch, put red tape on it, draw water from a well uh, to um, make the photographs. And she would have to develop all of them to make sure so not only during the day was she going around covertly in disguise, trying to take photographs where nobody could see her doing it, but at night she also had to covertly develop them all, make sure that they were all of sustainable quality, usable quality. Um, and what she did, she had she made three copies of each. One she sent to the National Assembly of the Baha'is of Iran. One she sent to Fujita, and one she sent to Shoghi Effendi. So she has made three copies of each. Such was the import of what she was doing. I'm going to try and share some of the photographs with you now. The presentation that I was telling you about, that uh, the Universal House of Justice sent these photographs to me. Um, in, in through the middle of these is one of the photographs in its more or less original state, so you can see the difference. So this very first photograph is the field of Badash. When I looked at that first, I hadn't a clue what it meant. I hadn't a clue. It looked like just a field. What's going on here? Why have I got that? This field was of very great significance in the time of the Bob, who was the forerunner to uh, Baha'u'llah. This was where the Bobbies, as they were known, had a convention and where uh, a young girl by the name of Tahira came into this group of men and un unveiled herself. For me, in my perspective, this is the time when the Baha'i faith or the Babi faith differentiated itself. You know, the Babis were very similar in many ways to the Muslims. So this is at this time when this lady, Tahira, came into this room in this field and unveiled herself was when the, the distinction was made between the, the faith of the Muslims and the, the faith of the Babis. They were very similar up to that point. But now here was a woman who was saying, I am equal to you. I am unveiling myself. And this occurred in this field. This is uh, shortly after the Bob was executed. Um, his body was thrown out into a moat. It became this area. Uh, this, is, this became like a market but it was in this area that his body was flung by the authorities after his execution. This is uh, just scenes of, of the countryside and the towns. This is Isfahan. Um, and the wealthier people lived in big squares, or these were squares, and there was uh, education, uh, water facilities, and various other things. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're already at nine o'clock. I will and can do another presentation with much more detail at another time. The architecture and all of that sort of thing, I've done a study on this as well. This is Tabriz. These were all taken in 1930. This is where the Bob declared his mission in a mosque, um, in this mosque, but this, this is a different angle. Normally the photograph that we would have seen is of um, the pulpit where the Bob stood and made his declaration. Um, actually this one, I will zoom a little bit on because I just love the architecture on this. Um, and this is one of the great tragedies about Persia is that we can't go and see some of this extraordinary. I mean, this, this is extraordinary building, just beautiful structurally and ar architecturally. Hopefully we will get to see some of these places again. Shiraz. A lot of the rooftops are covered in sand. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe the reason for the coverage of sand is because of the extremes of heat and temperature in the summer. In the summer, it keeps the houses cool, and in the winter, it prevents too much heat loss. This is the house that the Bob in which he was born, but this angle of the photograph is very different to the one that we normally have seen. So it's normally at a different angle. Um, so this is one of Effie's photographs, of course, with the orange tree in the foreground. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, the orange tree is quite significant because oranges were taken from this tree and the oranges were taken to Haifa 
and the seeds planted and a lot of the orange trees that are growing in Haifa are from this orange tree. This property has since been destroyed. This is the photograph I was trying to find earlier on. Fujita standing on the car uh, that he used to drive for Abdul Baha. And as you can see, he's standing on the footplate. He, he's along with some of the earlier believers with Effie Baker to the far left. Um, I'm, I'm always continually doing research on these photographs. And today I have made the discovery that this is the jail in which the Bob was kept shortly before his martyrdom, where he was taken out into the uh, square and executed. Um, around the edge of the, of, if, if you can see, there's some people standing where I have the cursor, if you can see it, 10,000 people came to this barrack square to watch the martyrdom of the Bob, and they stood on this wall all the way around the edges of it. This is a tribe of Fars, this is an, a district, a very large district within Persia at that time. Effie, obviously, being very fortunate and so humble, uh, was able to, uh, with respect, speak to local people. It was the authorities at a higher level, as it were, who really had it in for Effie. Um, if they ever came across her, they would have... I, 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 it doesn't bear thinking about it. This photograph is really interesting, though. Um, from a socio-economic sort of view, if that floats your boat. In the center with the pipe is the leader of the village, and beside him is the gendarme or the policeman. These are the two leaders of this village. And in the foreground, and beside it is all the people. Uh, you'll see the women are only partially covered, partially. So it was accepted for those people, in the, some of them, to be partially covered. Now, there's one little character in the front of it, and the hairstyles are very interesting. Uh, in my business, I wouldn't get away with a haircut like that. I like this character in the foreground. What are you taking a photograph of me for? He did not want to be there. I think he wanted his iPad back. This is the original state that some of the photographs came in. This is a women in Arctic Han. Uh, and you can see or barely see anything. It's very difficult. Because Effie was taking photographs on plate glass out in the desert, mainly, the glass would get coated in sand and gritty. So a lot of the photographs that we received from the House of Justice came covered in sand as it were. So we had to clean them and do a lot of work you know, to fix them and fill them in. I mean, we didn't alter them. I have to guarantee you that they were never altered in any way. They were cleaned and tidied up. And this is how one of them came. So you can see that they were very grainy, quite, you know, I mean, you're talking 1930s. You're not talking uh, uh, Samsung or Apple iPhone for taking photographs. The camera was very large. It all had plate glass. You had to stand it steady. You had to hide under a black canopy, all that kind of thing. In the middle of the desert, in front of people that were trying to murder you. You know, this is what I'm talking about, the life of service that Effie, it's just extraordinary. This is Effie climbing a hill. That's her in her 50s. I'm gonna zoom in on Effie, if I can. A little bit anyway. You can see she's bent over, leaning on a stick, walking a steep terrain with donkeys carrying her equipment and a couple of people helping her. And she's about to turn this corner. And look how steep that's about to become. And Effie did this because Shogi Effendi asked her to for no other reason because it was the service that she was offering. But look how strenuous. You can imagine the temperature there was probably 38, 39, 40 degrees. This is a 50-year-old woman, as I said, in ill health doing this. For our benefit, we received these fantastic photographs. Um, there was lots of discussion at the Belfast Summer School a couple of years ago about this photograph. I don't know if Mujan um, is watching this. But uh, since then, I've made the discovery that this house is the house where the Bob 
the forerunner to Baha'u'llah was brought and what he was bastinadoed. So a lot of you are going to say, what's that? Bastinado was where uh, a victim, I don't know if there's another word, is laid out on a bench and whipped on their soles of their feet. I don't want to dwell on that for too long, but I think it's still, you need to sort of, not to, no, we won't go there. It's just awful. But I believe that this is the house in which the Bob was bastinadoed. Uh, when the Bob, uh, he went on pilgrimage to Mecca and Medina, and on his way back, he was traveling on horseback, obviously, um, with some friends, and they advised him to avoid this village called the village of Hum, K-U-M. This village was full of uh, Muslim temples uh, and mosques. You can see the skyline is full of minarets. Um, uh, somebody made the, the comparison that the, the, the mosque, the town was full of mosques, but the people were not proper Muslims at all. They were all the worst type of people. And that it was absolutely necessary for the Bob to uh, avoid walking into this city. Um, so we had to stay out of it and circumambulate around the outside of it. He couldn't even go in for rest or repose. And it was much needed. This is an aerial view or an overview of Tehran. Again, the architecture of the roofs um, is just incredible. I mean, just all sorts of different shapes. It almost looks like something out of a moonscape. Tehran again. I'm not, I'm not going to dwell too long on this because I'm sure you're all bored out of your heads. The village of Hum again. You can see in the distance the minarets from all the mosques. The town of Yazd, very famous with, and I believe somebody has joined us, perhaps for tonight from Yazd, I think so. And these are some of the early photographs that Effie took of the development of the pilgrim houses in, in Haifa in 1925. This is the photograph that I was telling you about that Effie was able to go to the outskirts of the mansion of Baji and eventually inside the mansion of Baji and take photographs very early on before the Baha'is managed to gain control or take possession. Actually, they didn't take possession. That sounds like we went in and stormtrooped it or something. The Covenant Breakers just all left, basically. There was no aggravation or animosity. Okay, one or two final photographs before I close up on the photographic side of it. Um, I was reading about this wonderful man, and the reason that I'm showing him tonight is because this is coming from the UK, this Zoom. Uh, this is Dr. John E. Esselmont. And actually, I only made the discovery today that not long after this photograph was taken, he passed away. He suffered from emphysema, from a chest infection, and the heat in Haifa, uh, and he just, during the summer, uh, shortly after this photograph was taken, he just never recovered, and he passed away shortly after it. He wrote the book, Baha'u'llah and the New Era, one of the most incredible books. If you have any interest in the Baha'i faith, if you're... Um, interested, that's a, it's one book that I would recommend that you should have a, a, a look at. And he was from Scotland. Just change the zoom. There's one or two little ones, there's one or two left. Now, this is the last one I'm going to show you. Uh, this is Bahia Hanum. Sister of, sister of Abdul Baha. Glad Declan's here. He's prompting me, <laughs> putting a stick in my back. Give me the names. <laughs> it's hard to get all the names sometimes. Um, she was very, very, very reluctant for anybody ever to take a photograph. There is a photo. She had a portrait or a picture of the Bob in her room, which she kept. Um, and she had asked for Effie to take a photograph of this. Um, you can see it in the archives building. Effie took that photograph. Um, another thing that lots of people didn't know. She had one plate left, left in her camera and she sort of just casually said, uh, 
would you mind if I take a photograph? And she said yes. So she took this photograph. This is considered to be the last known photograph. There is one that looks slightly older, but according to Effie, um, she was sure that this was the last. We think there is one more. But what Effie says about this photograph that she absolutely loves is the fine hands of Bahia Hanum, of Ruhia Hanum. The hands that greeted and welcomed all of the friends from around the world. And she just loves that photograph because of those beautiful hands. This photograph actually, within this photograph, it's very difficult to see. There's a vase of flowers to the left of her shoulder under the table. The remains of the Bob, when they were uh, taken out of Iran, Persia, uh, were hidden for many years in this lady's room under that table. Now, it wasn't under this particular one because this is not, the, but that's the table. And the flowers are there to represent that, where the Bob's remains lay for years and years. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the photographs, but it's not the end of Effie Baker. Effie stayed on and worked. She came back with the photographs. She stayed on for another couple of years and then she returned back to Australia. She helped for many, many years to uh, form and develop uh, uh, the Baha'i community in Australia and New Zealand. Um, one of the things that I have omitted to say because there's just, there's so much material about this lady. An hour is not enough, but uh, during her time in Haifa, she would regularly and continuously correspond with the Baha'is in Australia on affairs relating to the Baha'i faith and the development of assemblies and structures and for guidance and help and support. And she would do this on behalf of Shoghi Effendi. And those records and letters, um, an awful lot of them Graham will have in his new publication, hopefully. Um, he'll confirm or deny that shortly. <laughs> um, but they're also available to see in the Baha'i Centre in Australia. Uh, there are many fantastic artefacts of this incredible woman. So to sum up a little bit, uh, I, I mentioned at the beginning that this is about a life of service. This lady from the minute, almost literally the minute she declared her faith in Baha'u'llah until she ascended to the next world, did not stop serving the, the Baha'i faith. She continuously served at every capacity, at every level, whether it was in the small villages where she stayed or in with the very poor ladies and the starving children on the streets of Haifa or by traveling in extreme heat and extreme cold. I never even got to tell you about some of the car damage and the breakdowns and the attacks in the middle of the night and all of the other things that happened to her on her trip through Persia. I haven't even mentioned any of that. I've just, there's so much. I really do hope that you have enjoyed this and that you have one or two questions and I'm sure that uh, Kay may be able to unmute Graham if he's able to assist on some of them because he knows far more than I do. <laughs> so yeah, just before we do that, she passed away in 1968 on, uh, in hospital in Sydney. A couple of more things, just a couple of quick points. Before she passed away, the uh, curate or the uh, priest of the, of the hospital was doing his rounds, visiting all the patients. And he came to Effie's bed and he lifted up her chart and said, oh, Effie Baker, a very interesting name. Um, I see you're a Baha'i. Um, uh, Baha'is believe in Christ and uh, um, uh, Judaism and Mohammedism. And, 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 and Effie said, yes, and I swallowed the lot. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to say uh, very briefly was um, shortly before she passed, uh, she, the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of Australia gave her an apartment within the building of the National Baha'i Centre where she would help look after it and entertain guests and teach children's classes. And I, when I first gave this talk in the Kilkenny Summer School about three years ago, um, towards the end, a lady stood up from the audience and said, and I was one of those pupils. 
she was able to remember it. Um, when I gave the talk a couple of weeks ago in South Africa, somebody was able to say that they were a pupil of hers as well. Uh, Graham Hassel, uh, who, as I said, has joined us from uh, the Gold Coast in Australia this morning, this morning for him, late at night for us. Um, he has some of the lovely toys that she made. Okay, I, that's, that's me. Um, I'm, you know, I've left out a lot, but, you know, this, sorry, Kay, you come in here now. Come on, <laughs> help me oh, out here. Your chair is over behind you, Declan, come on in. I think we, it would be lovely for Graham to say a few words if he's been staying up all night to do this. So the least we can do is give him, come on, Graham, unmute yourself. Hang on, I've tried to unmute yourself. Please, the three of you carry on. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, I just love the way that you uh, interrogate those photos and you brought them to life and uh, the way in which you draw out the, the significance of Effie's service and uh, abilities uh, in service of the Baha'i faith. Uh, so I really appreciate hearing each time that you make a presentation. Um, so I don't know what to say uh, because Michael has said that uh, uh, there's so much more to Effie's life. Um, let me just say one or two things. She, she had such a sense of humility that uh, her life's mission was not only to serve the faith, but also not to talk about that service. And so uh, it's only now that people are starting to see the extent of her service. Uh, what I see from the research that we've done is her extreme abilities as, as a young woman she was a photographer by the age of 18, uh, and it was very unusual for a woman to be in photography. They didn't get any support. It was because of the strength of her aunts who supported her, Michael has pointed out. Um, you know, I don't know what else to add at this time. I'm hoping that in the future, uh, Michael will be able to continue to uh, refine those photographs and bring them to the world. Uh, she has photographs uh, many photographs from Australia, uh, artistic photographs. Uh, she photographed the, the Baha'i community wherever she was. She did this service. Um, you can find many of her photos in the Baha'i world. In fact, you can see a, a photo of Effie in, in the Baha'i yearbook number one, 1925-26. There's a photo of Miss Effie Baker sitting there. Um, so, you know, she she's... Uh, uh, she, um, she was established very early on uh, in uh, Baha'i literature as, as a photographer. And so all the Baha'i worlds through the 20s and 30s have these photographs. Um, I could probably just show one photograph. If I, if oh, there's a class, is that a summer school? Yes, now I hope you can see this summer school. This is at the Yerimbo Baha'i School and Effie is over on, seated on the far right. She served in Haifa for 11 years and after that, she came back to a country setting. She came back to uh, a farm and she lived on that farm looking after her, a sister of hers and her mother and other family members from 1936 till 1963. So after these years of excitement uh, in Haifa, she came back to a quiet, a quiet life uh, and to, to a quite simple life because she hadn't been earning an income. Uh, all those years she was in Haifa. And uh, so she really lived a very simple life. In 1963, she took up the National Assembly's offer to come and live in the Baha'i National Headquarters in Sydney. And uh, so then she was once more back in the center of things. And that was until her passing in 1968. Um, my own family's in this photo. You see the little boy sitting in the front, uh, seated right in the middle of the photo. That's, that's myself. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I knew Effie from those years when I was a young fellow uh, through to her passing and that, that uh, sparked in me the, the seeds of wanting to share uh, what we know of Effie's story because it was so close to us personally. So that's why I was delighted that, that Michael took an interest in this. I won't take the time now to show the many other photos uh, of Effie in, in, in later life. Uh, but we can look forward to the further development. We hope that this biography will come out um, in the next year. It's, it's nearly done. It's just the editing of it. Um, 
together with a collection of her letters. Uh, and she was an exquisite writer. She was not just, this is the thing, but she was an exquisite writer. She had such descriptive ability. She had a, a sharp mind. She was very creative, but she was also technical. And I think Michael's pointed that out, that she was not only artistic with her photography, but she had the technical ability to develop her own uh, slides um, and, and to, together with the fortitude to do that. So it's quite a remarkable story. But what I've added in my little contribution here is that the extreme humility of this woman, that whenever she was asked to speak at these summer schools, she would say, oh, I'm afraid I'm not a speaker. I, I can't say anything. But she might give them a list uh, with some photos that someone else could talk. She never gave a talk about her own work. And if she were alive today, she'd be not happy about Michael's presentation. She wanted to keep a, a posture of extreme humility. And, and so, you know, we do this in a gentle way now, knowing that she wasn't somebody who was trying to be known. She just wanted to serve and she achieved that to the end of her life. So thank you so much for the presentation today, Michael. Thank you very much, Graham. Um, I just would like to uh, just disagree very Every time I go to make a presentation, I always uh, say a little prayer to Effie and ask her for her help and support. Uh, and I always seem to manage to get through it okay. <laughs> so I think maybe she does like me doing it. <laughs> she just didn't want to do it herself. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. Michael, I'm just going to, I'll just fix up one little anecdote for you there. The, the Reverend comes in and says, oh, Baha'is believe in uh, Islam and they believe in Christ and they believe in Buddha. He said, a bit like a fruit salad. And that's ah, when okay. I swallowed the lot. Uh, to just bring this to life for us to show a photograph of yourself and Effie together in uh, that summer school all those years ago. Um, thank you, Michael, for this presentation. I know it's very difficult on Zoom to try and get all the technical side if you're not that familiar with it. So wonderful to have uh, such a variety of people here and to go and when Graham publishes his book, we look forward to being able to purchase it and uh, learn more about these early Baha'is who had such an impact really on the history of the faith. She, she really did uh, dedicate most of her, all of her life really, her adult life, to the promotion of the oneness of God, the oneness of creation, the oneness of man. She photographed those buildings. And the important thing, I think, is that we have those photographs of the shrine of the, of the, um, the house of the Bab that was destroyed. And, and again, in the future, maybe they will be reconstructed because of people like Effie. She wasn't the only one, obviously, but um, people in Iran also took photographs. So we're able to reconstruct these things in the future when the time is right. Yeah, that Michael wants to show the, the, the size of the printed, um, la, la, because the presentation that we had in Ireland, actually, at the summer school, these photographs are about roughly, uh, two, yeah, roughly about two feet by a by foot and a half or so, two, two or three foot wide. But uh, See them in perspective to Declan, there. Yeah, they're quite large. And they're really fascinating to look at when you see them blown up. We couldn't really appreciate them probably in the... Um, format that we see them tonight because the screens are so small so and um, maybe at some stage when graham publishes uh, his book i don't know whether he'll have some of these images maybe published i'm not sure if that's a plan or not graham but um it'll be lovely to have that <laughs>